0: this presentation is from design research 2021 day three
1: hi welcome thank you for thank you for having me well really excited to have this conversation with you all today about a topic that is near and dear to my heart uh i am talking speaking from the uh new york city otherwise known as Lenape territory and Today's presentation is going to be a lot of things. I was taking a look at how much time I had, <laughs> a good 60 minutes, and have done this talk a few times, but included in it a bunch more new things, of uh, things that just really resonated with my soul as I was talking about this topic. And so hopefully um, you can sit back, enjoy this presentation slideshow will be provided after the presentation. So don't feel as though you have to uh, take notes uh, feverishly. But if I say anything that may not be included in the slide, feel free to take some of those notes. So hopefully that allows a little bit more openness for yourself. Awesome. So my name is Stephen Wakabayashi. I am the founder and president of a nonprofit organization based in New York City called QT BIPOC Design, which stands for Queer Trans Black Indigenous People of Color Design, which provides free and accessible design education to LGBTQ plus designers of color, understanding that within our design community, our queer BIPOC communities are severely underrepresented, and our nonprofit aims to provide design education, mentorship, networking opportunities for designers so that they can have all the tools needed to enter the industry. Um, And we're just so excited to have our programming. And we just recently uh, graduated a cohort of students from our first uh, UX bootcamp class. And so I just want to start with a little bit about my story, about how I came into this work, um, to add a little bit of context into uh, all of this stuff. And so a little bit about my journey. I started off in technology at a very young age. Um, I actually didn't get my computer or my family's computer until I was about in middle school completely no technology until then. Um, Hard to believe now with a lot of the new generation, but when the computer first appeared in my house, I was just so enamored by, I was so fascinated, I could not be pulled away from this device. And I was hoarding all the time that I could to explore everything about it. And as I started to understand the internet and understanding different software that I could get my hands on, I was able to grab a copy of Adobe Photoshop and Flash. And since then, it was game over. I was creating websites, just icons, you name it. Um, <laughs> as a kid, uh, just out of sheer pleasure and joy. Uh, I started programming when I was in middle school uh, after I had discovered that the, uh, co- uh, the, <laughs> the WYSIWYG editor can show you the code, and I was just so meticulous with it. Um, but a really fascinating turn of events. So I was doing all this throughout high school, for fun. Uh, I grew up in the Los Angeles region where computer science really also wasn't a thing. Um, There was no uh, courses taught in computer science. And so this entire time I had studied this, and I played with it on the side, I thought this was just a hobby, right, just something to do for fun. And so as I was preparing myself to go into college, and um, just like any Good Asian childhood, I went to college to study to become a doctor. And I spent many, many years toiling over uh, organic chemistry, physics, biology. <laughs> I actually graduated with a degree in physiology and neuroscience and ready to go into application for medical school. Um, and actually, During that time, I was a little bit unsure of still where I wanted to go, but I decided upon the gap here in between applying to higher education and medical uh, field to just go back to my hobby and just play a little bit. Um, And it was really funny during this time. I was also still working, doing web development to actually help pay for college Uh, myself, I come from very modest means, Um, a single mother household. She is a Taiwanese immigrant. Um, Also, you know, not exposed to computer science as well, uh, especially in rural areas of Taiwan back in the day. And so it just really never occurred to me that I could make this a future until I had stumbled upon it in means of getting trying to get to somewhere else. Uh, But until then, I had uh, an amazing, amazing career, uh, sprouting after then, um, and, I remember there was a point in which uh, your grades are invalidated because it's been way too long, right? Since you've gotten, you have to go back to school where I finally made the decision, Hey, I really want to pursue uh technology development, design full time. And so since then I've had a very amazing, fruitful career, working with some of the biggest brands and biggest agencies. And I've, been a developer, a designer, UX designer, uh, leading creative teams. And I didn't want to highlight or use this portion of the presentation to actually highlight all the pinnacle points of my career, uh, but in fact, quite the opposite. And what I want to share with you is one of my lowest points that I hit Within my career, while working night and days and weekends and toiling over all of the work and possibilities of it, and, and those benders with clients and colleagues, especially coming from the agency space, uh, the lack of sleep, poor diet. Um, and after years and years and years, more than a decade of that, it actually. Ended me into the hospital. At one point, um, I was in the hospital. My body had completely collapsed, and it was three months of absolute hell. Uh, getting tests, uh, getting put to sleep, and waking up, and not realizing how many uh, hours, days had passed. And as I was approaching month three, just not seeing my conditions improve, and just seeing my health still continuously spiral uh, out of control. And I was just coming to terms with the potential end of my life. And it's so hard to talk about it now to this day uh, without having a lot of emotions come up about it. But uh, I was just at a really low point in my life that was fueled by all of this do, 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 do energy where I hadn't been able to see all of parts of my health starting to fall apart. Uh, But after month three of trying different types of uh, alternative medicine, ultimately coming to a point where uh, I was utilizing both Western and Eastern traditions of uh, practices to create a holistic wellness regimen that I was able to make a great dramatic shift in my health. Uh, Also able to shift a lot of uh, the whole entire plethora cocktail of medication uh, through different ways of implementing these medicines. And during this time, I also started to implement meditation, less of a practice so that I can work more, right? Sometimes we have the practice of meditation as this practice of I can be more productive, I could study more, I can show up more in the workplace, but I was using it as a way to just accept um and at one point i was really struggling with this concept where i was very early in my age not knowing where my future was going to end up and a meditation was a way just to come to terms with it but um since the health had improved i just really resonated with it and wanted to make this a paramount practice of my livelihood And so I ended up deciding to leave everything at the time. I was in San Francisco uh, working with many of the major tech companies and agencies in the area. And I ended up leaving everything in San Francisco and traveling the world to study meditation across many different countries. And coming out of it, um, just so many insights across different countries, different practices, different lineages of Buddhism, secular practice, um, to ultimately better understand myself, ultimately understand what I wanted to do and how I wanted to show up in the world. And so with that, the one of the initiatives that came out of it was QT BIPOC design, creating an organization, a space where I can uplift marginalized identities that I resonated with myself. I identify as male, able-bodied, uh, queer, Asian, um, United States citizen, Taiwanese, uh, and Japanese lineages. And in the space that I created, it was to honor this concept of precious safe spaces that is really seen that I recognize that was really critical to my healing that I wanted to share with everyone in the world. And in doing so, I also saw a plethora of work also blossom out. And so, In tandem, I had also created a podcast called Yellow Glitter, which feature queer Asian perspectives on life and mindfulness. I've had guests such as Margaret Cho, Rain Valdez, um, Ian Alexander, and was featured this year uh, with Apple Podcasts on uh, Asian American perspectives. Um, also, started support groups for Asian Americans and queer Asians uh, through Zoom. Uh, had started this actually in person, but due to the pandemic, <laughs> and we just decided to go online uh, to create spaces, monthly space where folks can gather, sit in meditation, and to also talk about whatever is on people's minds and hearts. Uh, and this has also been featured through Eventbrite, uh, co-creating with them. And lastly, doing a lot more writing, a lot more writing on my background, on my perspectives, on topics that I didn't see written or (laughs) I didn't read too often. Um, And in doing so, I discover so much more about myself, what I was passionate about, and all of this work also helped to shepherd a lot of my own internalized healing as well, um, harboring a lot of uh, the systems that were placed on me, the systems of racism, the systems of patriarchy, uh, the system of ableism, uh, ageism, and and doing all this work, being exposed to so many more different perspectives, uh, the richness of experiences, and I absolutely love everyone that I collaborate with and helps to um, encourage me to continue doing this work. But out of all this, a couple lessons for you all to share. The first one is uh, stop working so hard. <laughs> uh, kind of kidding, but not really. In terms of doing the work, uh, what we want to create are sustainable practices. I would never, and why I share the story of the lowest point of my life is I would never want anyone to go through the same thing that I had done. But unfortunately, when we're in the thick of it, uh, doing the all-nighters for work, doing the business pitches, doing all those product launches, we sometimes forget who we need to prioritize and center sometimes in the experience, which is ourselves creating the space. But as we talk about this work of activism and showing off for other people, a big part of this is also sustainability and rest to ensure that we create a holistic practice that can continue to thrive, not just over a day, a month, but years and years and over generations. And if we cannot create this space and we choose to fight inequity with more inequity against ourselves, we simply will just exhaust ourselves and become uh, empty-handed. And we can't do anything anymore for other people around us. We see this happening across the industry and across agencies. Uh, This year, there was a report where a lot of the agencies that had signed on for uh, advocating as a part of BLM to advocate for Black creatives, Black communities, and just the larger BIPOC, Black Indigenous People of Color drop out of all of their uh, pledges that they had signed. Some uh, willingly stood up and said they had a lack of resources, funding, et cetera, but some just completely removed their names altogether and initiatives, all their websites altogether. Across the industry, we also see a severe burnout that's happening with BLM and all these other uh, social movements, particularly because... This isn't just something that we're doing for one day, one week, but we're seeing after years of doing this, uh, it's just really wearing and tearing down a lot of the people doing this work as well. And so... In light of all this, if you are called upon to do this work, if you are encouraged to do this work by others, understand that we all have to create a foundation that we can build upon. And that foundation is a sustainable practice, uh, resting and uh, being conscious and mindful of your own energy. And going back to my trip, and understanding ways that we can begin to not just show up for ourselves within the context of rest, but show up for ourselves truly to understand ourselves, we can start to shepherd in experiences and understanding of ways we can show up and help other people as well. And so the second lesson that I want to share with you is that your journey, your unique individual journey, And discovery of identity is essential and key towards your individual activism in understanding yourself. You become a conduit for change, not just specific to what you may be passionate about, but you become a conduit for change for people who are exactly like you or have lived experiences like you. You're able to share your stories so that other people can learn to grow from and by sharing all of this experience and sharing your growth and sharing the the amount of lessons that you have uh, been able to experience, we can usher in unique ways of growing, developing, uh, and essentially finally dismantling some of these inequitable uh, systems that exist around us. And so, want to share a little bit about now some ways that we can think about that in terms of our design teams, all right? Uh, but first, before we get into that, wanna talk a little bit about some of the terms that's floating around in this space. You might have heard the word diversity, inclusion, equity. Uh, the word justice is flowing around. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes it makes the acronym JEDI, which is really awesome. Um, belonging is also another word that's floating around. But overall, out of all of them, these three show up time and time again. And what I wanna point out first and foremost is that these terminologies are not necessarily exactly the same. And I want to get a little bit in depth about why it is important to understand differences between these terminologies is because in the way that we use diction, we usher in specific changes that we need and seek, right? The power of words. And so in defining some of the differences between these, let's first start off with diversity diversity is really the marker the numerical index of the differences that exist within a space in the photo that we have on the left we see three people looking over at a baseball game at different heights and they are also standing on a box all three of them and we also see the tallest person and the middle height person able to see past the fence but the shortest person unable to see past the fence uh, and kind of the encapsulation of this image is understanding that while we have diversity in the audience, it might not be the best experience or the most equitable experience for everyone, right? The next term, inclusion, is really about how these differences are welcomed, valued, and invited into the space. Oftentimes, I see this word being thrown around as a way to just invite people into the space saying, hey, this space is inclusive. We don't judge. But just the fact that you don't judge doesn't make a space inclusive. Inclusivity is actually how, right? What effort are you putting in? What energy are you putting in to invite what specific identity, what specific demographic, what specific community? Who are you inclusive toward? Right. And so when we see these blanket inclusivity statements, then you're just inclusive to the larger, broader audience. When in fact, inclusion could be approaching a specific black community, BIPOC community and saying, we want to create space for you. Please attend our events. How can we show up for you? Right. In the photo that we see here, we see people who have uniforms set up. So they are all together in the same similar experiences. And we also see the fence completely removed so that they can have a very similar experience with one another as well. Um, And then the last term here, the word equity. Equity is loosely defined as the redistribution of power and power can mean many different things in many different contexts, right? It could mean resources, it could mean money, it could mean time, it could mean energy. And so loosely defined, if we're going to make a space equitable, ask yourself what resources, energy, What uh, power can you provide in a specific space that can provide a better uh, or just equal experience to other people who may come from uh, different identities, different experiences? And so, in the photo on the right, we see the tall person providing their box that they were standing on originally to the shortest person, and in doing so, we see all three people here able to look beyond the fence that uh covers their vision and to see the baseball game. In the research realm, we see diversity with a ton we see diversity with a ton of research. Uh basically say this is good. (laughs) And so McKinsey has done a report year and year, year over year. Uh, If anyone needs specific data sets, highly recommend to check this out. Uh, But the latest one in 2020 uh, reported out of all the companies that they had surveyed about the top quartile of companies with more diversity than the other companies in the assessment performed about 12% better financially compared to the other companies. And they saw also the last quartile, the bottom 29, 25% performing very poorly financially as well. And if you actually look across all the different years that they have done this research, you can actually see all the different evolution of these data points. But at the end of the day, It doesn't really need to be rooted in finance, right? Our liberation, our ability to feel safe, our ability to be treated equally alongside somebody else shouldn't also be rooted in the necessity that it has to bring a company money, right? People deserve to be treated equal, period. (laughs) We also see in another research report led by international labor organization in 2019, inclusivity, right? The act of actually inviting other identities into the space lead to a 59.1 increase in creativity, innovation, openness for the organization. Also 37.9% better assessment of consumer interest and demand of their product. And so while there's so much numbers and so much metric and so many good pointers of why diversity, equity, inclusion is so good for us. Why do we still kind of suck at it? And it's less around just being bad at it, more so just taking a step back and looking at the bigger holistic picture, right? We oftentimes come into this practice with the intention of wanting to do good, right? The intent of I want to hire a more diverse team. And so across the board, what we do is we have initiatives set up where we increase pipeline, bring in more people, uh, hire more uh, folks into our company across all different tiers. Uh, And of course, as we go up (laughs) in different uh, order of uh, power within an organization, we see less and less and less diversity, particularly because the pool of talent is not as wide uh, as we go higher in that tier. But along the lines of observing why aren't we seeing diversity really flourishing in many of these situations because we don't acknowledge the inequitable cultures that exist that end up not just only pushing people out, but encouraging a lot of the diverse folks that were hired to leave because they don't feel safe, they don't feel seen, they don't feel welcome, and sometimes they don't feel as though they have a future with the organization. I want to specifically point out the fourth arrow pointing down. Over from the left, which uh, points out this concept also of tokenization. Sometimes we have a diverse candidates hired within an organization and we put them on this pedestal that sometimes they didn't ask to be put on and put this undue stress of representing an entire community just by having a job. And so oftentimes, At least personally myself, I hear this with a lot of my trans colleagues and trans friends when they are hired within organizations, they become the face of LGBTQ liberation within an organization. And sometimes, especially for uh, young emerging talent, they just want to fit in, right? They just want to be a part of the team, let alone Be the voice of a particular uh, community and organization. And so just being aware of some of these things will help shine light of why a lot of our people end up leaving. And so going back to DEI, if we want to create more equitable teams, it really starts with our culture. And so the next lesson I provide with you all is no matter the DEI intent or DEI quota, sometimes we put out The inequitable culture that is harbored and that we have brewed leads to the poor retention high, high attrition of our talent. And so our focus should really first address the systemic cultural patterns, the systemic cultural inequities that exist within our organization. And so I'm going to share with you a couple of the insights and a couple of the uh, methodologies and ways that we have discovered at our organization, at QT BIPOC Design, that we've instituted to shepherd in more equity within our teams. And so wanting to first start off with this concept of design thinking, right? Design thinking as a methodology, as a model. And there's been a lot of critiques <laughs> on this model in the past few years where we're starting to now see a lot of the gaps, right? In the model that we have created where we place a designer in the center, but not just in the center, but playing the role of God across all all the endpoints of these processes, right? The designer aggregates all the insights, aggregates all the data, the designer creates all the products, designer does the recruiting, designer does all the aspects related to the product, launching of the product. And we sometimes wonder how did these unconscious biases show up? In fact, it is because we put so much emphasis on the designers in these processes. And so while we absolutely love these methodologies and structures, we want to build upon it to make them more equitable and more conscious so that we can leverage a lot of the good coming out of this, right? And so really in terms of shifting this paradigm is to shift this paradigm of this top-down approach also what we see typically in a corporate setting right this top-down approach where the C uh, suite the CEO has their perspective and their belief of what they want to institute within an organization sometimes at least what i say is when it comes through the lens of the community or with a community in mind that is great. We sometimes need that, but when it is just through the <laughs> through the means of this is what I feel, or this is just the way I like or I enjoy things, uh, sometimes we have inequity that is actually amplified instead. And so the first way that we're starting to observe and utilize this methodology for our way of creating equity is to focus on the community first, a bottoms-up approach. And so as we think about our creative teams, our designers, thinking about ways that we can focus on putting our design team at the forefront, at the center of the culture that we are creating, right? And so... A couple points here coming out of it, thinking about the design thinking model and shifting maybe some of the questions that we ask ourselves. First ask maybe, how are we understanding each other, right? And then asking ourselves, how are we together as a group collectively iterating on solutions together? And then asking ourselves together, how are we collectively reinforcing practices together? so that we can shepherd in a more equitable future for our collective group. And so as we shift the model, we ended up creating a four-pronged structure uh, that, <laughs> that is simply denoted as grounding us with the principles of the community the we, right? What are some reminders that we can place to better understand what are the needs of our people first? The second point, understanding each other, one another, and opening up our ears and hearts to one another. The third point, iteration taking practices that exist, what's working, and then not completely dismantling, right? Too often in the design practice, we're so used to completely dismantling and uprooting and demolishing, (laughs) uh, all these really aggressive words, to create a new system that we want. But in fact, The work of iteration is taking what exists, what has worked, and then building on top of it. Also, sometimes building on top of what hasn't worked and using the truths and lessons coming out of that, right? And then number four, reinforcing, using positive loops, positive feedback loops of equitable actions and behaviors that we want more of. Actually, I'm going to turn on the chat too. I totally forgot about that. Yes. Okay. So if anyone has any questions throughout it, I have the chat open as well. And I can pull some questions and integrate them into the talk too. Uh, let's see. One second. Okay. Cool. And some of the other questions I'll get to towards the end of the talk. Awesome. Cool, so let's get into it. Let's get into the model. And so for the first one, the practice of grounding, we have a couple tenets that we want to share with you all. And we'll just pull them all up one by one. The first one is, recommendation of just really sitting down with everyone and having one-on-one meetings to assess everyone's individual needs, right? Asking yourself, how can I show up for everyone, right? Um, And so really here, I'm going to point out a couple things why sitting one-on-one is essential is because everyone is different, right? This concept of intersectional identities is this concept where we, as individuals, have all different attributes of ourselves, right? Uh, myself, Asian, male, uh, queer, United States citizen, Japanese, Taiwanese, able-bodied. Um, and when we culminate and pull all these different intersectional identities together, we in turn show up, respond, react to the world in very different ways sometimes. And so one of the ways that we can combat this is to really uh, put time on the calendar to sit with people. And I provide you all with two questions that you can ask folks. And these are very telling for how you can show up Or things that you should be aware of when working with folks. The question of asking somebody, how have people shown up for you in the past? And in asking that question, people will immediately share with you ways that they have felt included. And this directly feeds into our inclusion practices that we can institute within the cultures that we want to build. And then the next question, how have people not shown up for you in the past? And this immediately flags for you, important and behaviors that truly impact and hurt the people on your team and things that you should become aware of. Um, the next point, identify gaps within the team. So, This involves sitting down with your team and assessing who on your team uh, (laughs) has which identities and doing an assessment of it to better understand what other gaps exist. Right with people on your team and who you can look for as you're doing hiring, or ultimately as you're starting to look into uh, doing co-creation and collaboration with. And so for this one, look at, again, back to the concept of intersectional identities, all these different attributes and uh, uh, different properties of specific individuals and seeing what you're overly indexing on and what you may not be indexing on. And then, third, once you've started to aggregate all these insights, again, like a typical design practice, right? Establishing guiding principles and goals, manifestos, whatever it is that you want to call ways that you can codify essentially all your insights into your North Star, your ways of being for the team. And a couple of recommendations for this one it is to one, make it really simple and easy for everyone to understand, right? Don't also end up with a hundred different tenants. Just keep it with a few a handful. Uh, maybe it could start off with just how do you show off people simply, right? And then the third one, which is the really most important one, is what are the regular check-ins you have? with these guiding principles and goals, right? Uh, Are they quarterly? Are they monthly? Are they weekly? What do they look like for you, for your team? That maybe, again, going back to the larger foundation of our activism and equity practice, what is the most sustainable, right, for your team and how you can show up for people? Cool. Next portion. take a look at the questions to see if there's any related question (laughs) um actually all these questions will be uh kind of answered through the talk so why don't i just go through the talk and then i'll try to pull some of the questions that either get the most thumbs up um uh, that may not have been answered previously yeah um so the next portion so this one, in terms of creating safe spaces for dialogue, this one, we're really passionate about as an organization. Uh, we have started instituting this in our design reviews, the way we talk to one another. The first one is this concept of creating safe spaces within the design critique, design practicum, design work. And oftentimes when we talk and create the work with one another, we oftentimes forget that we are also... Judging someone's work, right? And sometimes we forget that our words, our language already is the root of inequity in the way that we critique somebody else's work and how they showed up and how they present to us, right? And so the big tip here is to first set the intention of the space, right? Is it non-judgmental, inclusive, uh, equitable? Why? start the meeting off with that. Uh, And then the next point, as people are presenting the work, as presenting uh, what they have shared and worked on, seek to first understand before seeking to have your thoughts understood. Shifting the narrative to place again, a bottom-up approach on the other people first in the work. How we can do that is really through this concept of creating emptiness. And so in creating emptiness, I did it in the very beginning of this exercise in this presentation where I mentioned to everyone, I will share with you this presentation in the slides with everyone afterwards. And so is that a way that you can create emptiness to reduce labor for other folks, right? In the meeting, is it creating emptiness maybe verbally? right? <laughs> Mentally within the space. Um, and this one gets a couple laughs from people, but why is it that we, especially on the agency side, why do we give ourselves 24 hours or even less than just like a couple hours to turn around work. And we ask clients 48 hours a week to come back with response. Why is it that we create so much emptiness for clients, but we don't show up and create this for our team members, right? Again, as we talk about inequity, the way that we treat clients so differently from our team members also plays a part in brewing a lot of the different levels of inequity that end up hurting our team members. And sometimes we don't realize that in getting these short-term gains, right, And we'll talk about this a little bit in terms of reinforcement. But sometimes in the judgment, in not creating emptiness, we get these short-term gains uh, and we get the work done immediately, but we end up sacrificing the long-term validation, long-term resonance, long-term positive feedback loops with everyone on our team. And so sometimes it takes a minute to just sink in, to allow... All these things to kind of show up, and you're like, "Wow, I didn't realize that," uh, which is good insights. And then number four, a part of creating safe spaces for dialogue. In the instance, right, we are surrounded by people who are like us, who think like us, who create designs like us. We end up going down this rabbit hole, right, where we end up creating work that all of us we agree, and we're like, "Oh my god, that's amazing," but in the concept of equity, diversity, diverse thinking, not all ideas are going to align, right? We want that. And so be comfortable with dialogue, be comfortable with healthy banter, be comfortable with the concept of braveness showing up and maybe facilitate it. Ask people, hey, I want you to help me poke holes in this. I want you to see what I may not be seeing, right? And invite others to be the devil's advocate. And sometimes we forget that we are in these positions of power, right? We're the manager and they are the managee and we're like, hey, give me feedback. And we sometimes don't realize that there are already levels of inequity that go into feeding why people sometimes aren't able to voice their opinions as they truly uh, have them. In the work of iteration, we had talked about it previously, honoring the past, honoring what has happened, two parts, honoring what has worked, and ensuring that that stays true within our work, right? Too often, we're always trying to put our name on things and (laughs) throw the, you know, stake in the ground of our work. And we oftentimes completely eradicate all the work that had been done before. And in this work of honoring the past, we must bring through what has happened previously. And also with that, seeking to understand the lessons coming out of it, right? And ensuring that we create retrospective spaces for this to uplift lessons that may not have been applied so that we can apply in future iterations of it. As we build on top, instead of uh, creating all these separate tracks of different efforts, potentially uniting all the efforts together so that we can uplift one another. And lastly, aiming for consistency as we talk about iteration and building on top of one another, ensuring that if it's retrospectives or ways that we can look back at the past and get insights that that is a regular practice to ensure that future iterations are always constantly building on top of one another then dismantling what we have. Lastly, in rewarding uh, the behaviors, activities that we want to see more of, leveraging Positive feedback instead of negative feedback, right? Again, going back to judgment, going back to safe spaces, utilizing positive feedback to encourage behaviors we want more of, even if it's the slightest degree, right? Using it to amplify, echo the actions that we want more of. Again, not indexing so heavily on short term gains, forsaking the long term impacts that we are seeking, right? And then lastly, leading by example whenever possible, understanding that. When we want to have equity show up, right? asking yourself the question, if this space was equitable, how would I act? How would I show up in this space? And using that as the marker of showing up for other people um, in the way that you would like to. And so I want to leave a couple kind of nuggets. I know like a lot of people go into this talk usually asking, how do I increase pipeline? Um, (laughs) And so a couple nuggets here just for some folks. Um, Again, going back to, we are really passionate about understanding that your culture, your inherent creative culture within your existing design team is the reason why you're getting inequity showing up, right? Again, going back to it, if we cannot fix the foundation in which our current design teams are built, it doesn't matter how big our pipeline is, people are gonna exit again, right? And so if it is pipeline and we've worked on culture within our teams, a couple of advice here. First, to build long-term relationships with local community organizations, asking them, how can I show up for you? What can I do to support you? Potentially engaging with them on projects, uh, consulting work, um, and also, as we talk about organizations, potentially co-creating partnering with educational institutions, universities, boot camps, nonprofit institutions, such as our organizations. We work with marginalized communities day in, day out. And we are so excited, so ecstatic to work with organizations who want to not just leverage some of our insights, but also work with us to bring some of our pipeline directly into organizations, right? Don't think you have to shepherd all this work yourself and Shoulder and put this all on your shoulder. Um, and then lastly, connect with recruiters who are focused on recruitment and placement of diverse talent, understanding that you don't want to look for the recruiters that just have DNI slapped on their profile. You want to look for the ones who have a methodology in place to ensure that there is equitable hire. Again, equitable hire is really about this concept of matching the right individual with the right location. And I want to give a shout out to one of my colleagues, Krista Rime, who is a great, great, great example of a recruiter who lives and breathes this day in and day out, uh, talking to companies, understanding the equity index of a company so that they can find the right people to match into it. Because Krista is ultimately looking for the longer term relationship for her clients. And so, The advice I provide you all here is in creating equity and dismantling the systems of inequities within our organizations and our design team culture. Ultimately, this is a lifelong process. And while this may be feel daunting and might feel really heavy, if we took small deliberate steps every single day, maybe just to show off for one person, right? We also don't have to be the design leader. We can be the single designer and start instituting this with our meetings, for example. But if we're a design leader, see and ask yourself, how can you show up for just one other designer today? And starting to use that as a way to codify a larger initiative in the organization or your design team. Yeah, And so a couple more slides I usually end my presentation here, and actually, because we have a little bit longer time, and I'll definitely get to questions in the last bit, um, some additional things that just really made me more aware of this in a section titled, Why Should I Care? So if all the things that I shared with you, all the tips, all the advice, all the things didn't resonate with you just yet, hopefully these things will resonate deeper within your soul. And the first one is this delineation between design and art, right? Sometimes we forget when we're hired as designers, we're hired to solve problems for a myriad of communities. This could include Communities who are disabled, living in rural areas, low technology, working in dangerous conditions. Uh, and we're not really hired to make something that is just for aesthetics purposes, right? And sometimes we often forget that equity. Diversity, inclusivity, these are tools. And when we bring more diverse talent and more diverse perspectives into our teams, these are tools in which we can solve the problems, right? And so... I'm gonna highlight a couple organizations, highly recommend everyone check them out. National Equity Project, Creative Reaction Lab, Project Inkblot. They are doing awesome, awesome job creating new design thinking methodologies that are using communities within the center of the processes, shifting the narrative of the designer or another individual at the center to a more community-centered approach. But sometimes in these processes, we oftentimes hear the word empathy, right? Which is a typical design thinking word of the day. And sometimes ego is actually disguising itself as empathy. And so a quote I want to share with you all, this applies to not just women, but larger uh, community uh, in this book, Room by Design by Mike Mon- Montiero, which I highly recommend. Empathy is a pretty word for exclusion. I've seen all male, all white teams take empathy workshop to see how women think. If you want to know how women would use something you're designing, get a woman on your design team. They're not extinct. We don't need to study them. We can hire them. And so the lesson for you here is we have the tools to design better, and they are diversity, equity, and inclusion. And if we want to design better, why aren't we bringing in more different perspectives? And so to design for our communities, community, we ultimately must design with and include our communities within this processes. And another point, DEI gets brought up frequently time and time again as a resource issue. And I wanna point out that it really isn't a resource issue, nor is it for an individual or an ERG to solve for an entire company. And this isn't to shame an ERG particularly. DEI ERGs are really essential, especially when they are within an inequitable organization to shepherd a lot of the conversations that aren't happening within the organizations. But an individual ERG should not shepherd All of the work of DEI. And as it pertains to resourcing issues, we have companies hitting the trillion dollar valuation, right? Multi trillion dollar valuation. And yet they still cannot move the needle on diversity. Yet there are companies who have pennies in comparison who are doing far greater leaps and bounds than these companies. So this is evidence that diversity DEI is not a resource issue. It is not about having more money, nor is it about throwing more money at the issue. DEI is ultimately a group effort. We all have to be a part of it. And it is based on the consistent actions from each and every one of us. In addition, our liberation together is intertwined and we cannot be liberated without one another. My liberation is attached to your liberation. Vice versa, yours is attached to mine. I am doing the work to help us liberate. Will you do the work to help liberate me as well? And lastly, to exist in today's world means to live and experience both privilege and equity that has been passed down upon us yeah? And so within these systems of inequity, actually, we're all losing. Even the folks who you might think that are privileged are actually losing. Yes, marginalized communities, I see you, I hear you, your pain is valid, it is real. The people in privilege, you are also losing, particularly because take patriarchy, for example, or even homophobia, transphobia, ableism, all these different systems. In patriarchy, this is designed so that men who want the privilege have to fall in lines with certain aspects of identities of being either domineering, controlling, emotionless, all these attributes, right, of what a man has ought to be. And in doing so, we lose our identity because we are trying to get the privilege and then we uphold the systems of inequity and we forsake ourselves, our vision, right? And in this aspect, we must let these go. We have to understand that we are all losing as a part of this system. And I have this beautiful quote by Alok Van Menon, who's a writer, activist, artist, that I highly recommend everyone check out, where hosts host asks, how can I help you? And in which the uh, the author mentioned, please Don't show up for me because you want to protect me or want to help me. And in fact, ask yourself, how can you be freed? Can you help yourself to be freed in helping me? And so the last three questions I provide you all, and then we'll do quick Q&A, is the concept of asking yourself, not just, am I ready to diversify my team, but asking yourself, Am I actually ready to be liberated myself because our liberation is intertwined within one another? And then also asking yourself, am I ready to truly design with a diverse plethora of experiences and perspectives? There we go. So thank you for your time. And we have a few minutes to take on a couple questions. Um, Definitely check our organization out. Uh, You can visit us at qtbipoc.design. Check our work or follow myself or my team members uh, who are doing this work day in and day out. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much, Stephen. That was was awesome. Thank you. We have, uh, people have been asking questions and we we do have a a few. Um, And then we also have the the longer Q&A session later, which we we hope you can um, still join us for. But if I can ask at least some of these questions and see how we go in the next six minutes, that would be excellent. So I'll I'll start with Padma's question, um, which is that one of the main blockers to inclusion and therefore diversity and equity I see in the UK Is that concepts like professional and appropriate go unchallenged how do we make these words mean something more diverse than behaviors which basically reinforce the patriarchy
1: absolutely a big part of dismantling these systems of inequity really come through dismantling what have we been taught what have we learned as a part of what is the right way to be realizing at the end of the day there is no right ways exist, right? Just because I put on a business suit doesn't make my work any better, right? Or as we talk about intersectional uh, identities, some people just don't have the means to afford a certain level of couture or clothing to show up in a certain way. And this is really also big in education, for example, where a lot of people say, well, what, you know, he, she, they are, have this education. Why don't we hire them? but we sometimes forget that equity dates far back, predates just the education. It's actually systemic all the way from when they are born, right? Certain individuals right when they are born. And so these concepts of professionalism or these other specific words that that places certain values of existence in the current state completely ignores the fact that there are systems and inequity that have put pressure and put people down for many many years as soon as they're born so back in short it's just dismantling some of these concepts and asking ourselves do we really need these to show up for the work yeah
0: it was a there's a a broader question there i think around you know hiring for cultural fit Mm. um and you know how someone presents themselves uh, physically, um, you know, in terms of what they wear and their hairstyles and um, and, and the rest, um, you know, has to fit a mould. Um, and if it doesn't fit a mould, then we don't think they're a good cultural fit. Um, as this sort of catch-all excuse for that they're not a lot, they're not enough like me, which is really what it's getting at. How do you how do you tackle that?
1: Yes, that is. The worst feedback I, I <laughs> hate hearing because it just hides a lot of context, right? Cultural fit. What does culture mean? When our culture is inequitable to begin with, then yeah. they just don't fit within the systems of inequity. Makes sense, Is right? that what
0: you're trying to change? Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so instead of using these blanket statements of culture, asking ourselves, again, going back to the index, what are the gaps that we have on the team? right? And these are the things that need to be addressed rather than somebody that's upholding the culture that exists.
0: Yeah, that's great. Stephen, we have um, uh, more questions, which uh, hopefully you can um, answer for us later on. Uh, that That was wonderful. That was everything I hoped it would be. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Um, yeah, this this is beautiful, beautiful work. We're all a part of and just so much compassion, so much graciousness for everyone who's really passionate about doing this work and uh, Steve and the team at UX Australia. Thank you for having me and for everyone else. Hope you have a, an amazing rest of your day with all your conferences and talks and uh, yeah, really excited to <laughs> return back for <with> the Q&A. <laughs>
0: Thanks very much, Stephen. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me. Bye.